Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Answering the Call, offering a glimpse into the spiritual journeys of local priests, deacons, and religious. And now, Answering the Call with Elizabeth Piccicelli. Hello, and thanks for joining us on Answering the Call here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 and streaming live for you on stgabrielradio.com. I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficicelli, and I welcome you to this program, Answering the Call, where we have a unique chance to, to get to know some ordained clergy and religious in our diocese and beyond to kind of see their uh, faith journey as they answer the call uh, to their current vocation and their service to our church. And if you attended the recent Columbus Catholic Women's Conference this year, or you had a chance to either listen live or the replayed coverage on AM820, you would have been very inspired by a powerful priest and speaker, Father Nathan Cromley. Father Cromley is a member of the community of St. John, and while his ministry takes him around the globe, he is an Ohio native who has returned at least for a time to his home state where he's working on his latest venture and will be talking about all his great work today. Uh, But first, I want to welcome by telephone Father Cromley. Thank you for joining us uh, on Answering the Call. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm glad to be with you. Oh, I am so glad to be with you. It was a delight uh, to emcee that conference and and get to have a little uh, talking time with you during that day. What a fabulous event. I think you really lit 3,000 women on fire with all your inspiration and and certainly all the listeners who turned in that day or afterwards. Uh, what, What was your experience coming to Columbus in that big of a crowd? I felt like I was coming home and the organization was so smooth, and uh, I think the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully that I got more out of it than anyone else. I'm just convinced. Yeah, and that seems to be the the way it is. It's a gift for those who are presenting, gifts for those who are receiving. But yeah, there's definitely a movement afoot in our, our church. We're seeing it in our diocese, and, and we're proud to be able to have such large men and women's conferences and bring in speakers like yourself. So I was delighted when you agreed to be on the program so we can find out a little bit about Father Nathan Cromley and how God called him into uh, service for the Church through his priesthood. So, you know, Father, I was trying to find some uh, background information. Uh, Couldn't find a lot on the Internet. Uh, I do know you are from Toledo, so you are an Ohioan by birth. I like to, on the show, go back to the beginning of my guest's life and start with their family and to find out, was this your first exposure to the Catholic faith, your family in Toledo? Yes, absolutely. I I am who I am today because of my family, and I can't emphasize that enough. The 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 A lot of times you, we hear stories about incredible graces or mystical revelations that are given to people, and then they, they head out as a as an apostle of Christ, uh, for me, it all was rooted in the home life where faith and family were just intertwined. Uh, from my, my immediate family to my extended family, it was, it was normal, it was accepted, it was part of who we were to be Catholic. And I think that that type of environment is so, it's just such so fruitful for vocations throughout so it was a family that lived the faith, walked the walk. So um, it was a family then, did you have any like prayer or devotions at home, uh, family rituals at home that kind of reinforced your faith? Not, not, not more than uh, a normal Catholic could do, that's okay. for sure. Uh, we, we had prayers before meals and prayers when we went to bed at night, uh, for sure. But, and then we went to Catholic school. Sure. And it, just through the normal kind of interaction of, of a daily Catholic life, 
we, you know, it was just imbued in me. But it wasn't by any means a, a family upbringing that was exceptional in terms of uh, an, a really excessive piety or even really strong piety. It was more the character mm-hmm. that that was passed on, and I think that that's the most important part for how God later on called me. It was through that that understanding of who you are in His eyes uh, that opens us to that relationship with Christ. And was it a big family? How many siblings in your family, Father? Uh, there are a total of four siblings okay. uh, for me, and then uh, so five children total in the family. Okay. So you were saying that you went to uh, parochial school. Uh, did you serve on the altar as a boy? I sure did. <laughs> That's some of my, fine, my my favorite memories growing up with, with altar. It was a pride thing. <clears throat> I was so proud to be an altar server, uh, and we had special training. I remember at that time in my grade school, I remember there were 84 of us, wow. 84 from wow. uh, fifth grade up. I still remember my training by the priest and how impressed I was seeing the priest genuflect in front of the, the Eucharist on the altar, because he was at the time a very tall man, six foot four. And when he would go to his knee, I remember just always being in awe that whatever's there on that altar must be so very important. Hmm. So very impressionable. Um, do you have any memories of your own first reception of Holy Communion as you're preparing for the reconciliation and Holy Communion for the first times? Any special memories of, of those those experiences? I remember uh, being taught to fold my hands correctly. Uh, it was something that Sister uh, had forgotten to teach us at the time. And so we were standing in line, and I wanted to fold my hands with my fingers kind of folded downward. But <laughs> Sister said, no, 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 you have to fold them upward for the pictures. And so <laughs> I was mad about that because I was I was happy. And now as a priest, I think of it, as, uh, strangely enough, but I think about that memory rather often because... As a priest, you have to have your fingers pointed upwards. And I kind of smile thinking, you know, their sister would be so proud of me for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in your elementary years, a, a young boy receiving your first sacraments, you, you have sisters there that, that are uh, an influence on you, and you're, obviously your pastor was. Did you think in those elementary years, did you think maybe one day you might want to be a priest? When I was in third grade, I remember seeing a statue of the Virgin Mary in in the back of the classroom. Something you might not think a lot about, you know, why it's not important to have crucifixes, some would say, or statues. Well, in my life, it was very important because I had was just like any child, you don't even notice it until one day you happen to notice it. <laughs> and I remember asking my teacher why what the snake was underneath Mary's seat. Wow. And she kind of came close to me. She used this as a teachable moment. <laughs> I, it, it certainly taught me. And she explained to me that that was the devil and that Mary would crush the devil. And and then she looked at me, and I remember her saying, God has a very special plan for you. You should pray to Mary for your vocation. Pray one Hail Mary a day, asking Mary to show you what God wants for you to do. And she will. And I really didn't even reckon, know what was going on, but she told me that Mary would tell me what God wanted me to do. And so I remember then, a year later in fourth grade, we went to the Chrism Mass in, uh, at, the, at Rosary Cathedral in Toledo, Ohio. And once again, same thing. A lot of times, our older people, you might get frustrated. All these kids are there from the Catholic schools. You know, you wish you could just be left alone. you got to be careful about that because... 
that for me, seeing the priests, I'd never seen priests process before. Mm. And I could still see them walking past me in my memory, all those white vestments, one after the next. It was such an expression uh, of just, of the priesthood, of the power of the Church, that I had a moment where that was the first time in my life where I felt God was calling me to be a priest. So, And uh, I remember exactly where I was at the time. So about fourth grade, you're saying. So, and did fourth you grade. did you do that little prayer that sister suggested to Blessed Mother? Did, did she become part of your life at that point? I knew that she she I knew that she uh, would tell me what God wanted me to do, and of course, like any child, you have a devotion to her. But nothing like you read about in the books of the saints. <laughs> <laughs> and was this something that you kind of kept to yourself? This this little thought that oh maybe one day I could be a priest, you know, maybe this is what God's calling me. Did you share that with anyone, with sister, with your parents, with your pastor? No, nope. I was too small, I think. Mm -hmm. But I I know that every time that they would have a missionary come to the school, uh, I would respond. There was something about a priest that always attracted me, almost like inside, they would always talk to us about being a priest, and I always just kind of secretly knew that that was me. There was something in me that responded to that. And I think it's beautiful because these are things that Catholic schools teachers have to kind of suffer through. If you bring in the missionary, we lose the time of class, and the kids don't really care. And I'm, I'm telling you, they do. Yes. They really do. Uh, for me, uh, that this was all part of leading up to a moment where in seventh grade, I really had a, a deep knowledge that I was being called uh, by God. Mm-hmm. Was that, um, were you approaching like confirmation age? Were there retreats at that time or, you know, that anything that was um, making this more of a reality to you, a stronger call? Well, uh, my my mother had brought home uh, some newspaper articles about Marian apparitions. Mm-hmm. And I was reading about Marian apparitions and I was completely floored. So it was just laying around the house. Uh, like just like you know, Reader's Digest, you'd have that, and you'd have Catholic Digest, and you'd have guideposts, and you'd have this is newspaper article about Marian apparitions. And so I was just flittering through it, and I was gripped because if these things are real, why isn't everyone in the world <laughs> responding? That was the question in my yeah. mind. I yeah. remember just being seized from the inside with like, oh my gosh, like this is huge! <laughs> like the Mother of God has come to the earth. Right, and he's telling us to repent. Like this is like kind of the most important thing that's happening in the whole world. And I remember thinking to myself, why aren't people doing anything? And I don't know. I, you know, again, I can't really say it was some sort of mystical phenomenon that's extraordinary. But a question just suddenly came to my spirit, and it said, "This." It said, "And what about you?" Mm. And I just remember saying, "Yes." And at that moment, I had an encounter with Christ. Um, and I left that encounter knowing that he wanted me, he wanted me to give myself totally to him. Were you... And so, of course, I thought about the priesthood right away. Uh, and interestingly enough for me, I thought, I want to be a monk. And okay. just I came out of that encounter knowing I want to be a monk. <laughs> were, were I was you... more of a monkey than a monk at yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> were, were you ready to talk about that at, at this point now, 7th grade or so, 8th grade? Were you ready to share that with someone else? It seems like such a big 
thing for a, a young person to be carrying in their heart. You know, so did you confide this to anyone at that point? Uh, my parents had the foresight to see something was happening, and I can't remember if I told them or not. I suppose I probably did. Um, but I remember that they, they got me in contact with a priest who met with me and really helped me immensely. I can't underscore that enough, the beautiful role that priests have had in my life. You hear a lot of bad things about priests. Well, let me tell you, these are just beautiful fathers uh, to me who took me under their wing and knew what was happening inside of me and just mentored, supported, encouraged, taught, corrected. Uh, There was one in particular that I chose as a spiritual director, so to speak, even though I didn't really know what that was, but I could ask him all of my questions, and he could guide me through uh, those years of my of my teenager life, and I'm just so grateful. You're listening to the voice of Father Nathan Cromley. He is a, a member of the community of St. John, a priest, and he was a speaker at our recent Columbus Catholic Women's Conference uh, here in town, and he's joining us by telephone today and sharing his vocation story here on Answering the Call So, Father, um, you know, now you're in, like, high school time. High school is a time when, you know, kids are thinking about their future. Are they going to go to college? What are they going to do with their life? So this sounds like you, God was providing you the support you needed to really discern this call, to really be solid. Um, And I know something will happen to you at 17 when you go to World Youth Day. Was there anything before that trip to World Youth Day that would be important for our listeners in your vocation story? Absolutely. Uh, I was right away involved with a prayer group that would meet, and we would do a rosary, a mass, and another rosary every Wednesday night. And uh, that was such a blessing to me at the same time because it gave me formation. I think that that's a lot of times what our, our young people are missing from the Church. We kind of give them some sort of personal contact, some sort of mass, but you don't really know how to go deeper. And so being involved in a prayer group uh, with my mother and other adults uh, and just being able to be around those people of faith and in, it kind of like imbibe who they were and what they were, it also opened me to different uh, levels of catechesis, different authors, different ideas in the spiritual life. With Father there guiding me, um, I was able to, to just keep my vocation intact until I went to Denver, and it just kind of exploded. <laughs> So who did you go to Denver with? Was this part of a youth group experience or? Funny story. You know, I've never been in a youth group. And uh, I've dedicated the last 14 years of my (laughs) life to ministering to youth. And I've no experience of a youth group myself. Um, I I would go to daily mass and uh, at the the monastery of, of the visitation in Toledo, which, speaking of vocations, it's a great place for young women to check out terrifically holy group of women and their cloistered sisters. And so I would go there for daily Mass where I would serve. And uh, a group of kind of, you know, older gentlemen obviously took note of this high schooler student with his varsity letter jacket serving Mass. And uh, they they called me up out of the blue and said, you know, congratulations, you know, you've, you've won a trip. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you just won a competition. I said, I never entered a competition. <laughs> they said, that's right. We're going to make the competition for you. Uh, you can write your essay when you get home. We're sending you all expenses paid wow. to Denver, Colorado. Wow. wow. And so I jumped on a bus. I didn't know another person who was going. 
uh, on the trip. So I was added <laughs> in with another youth group on their bus. It's just kind of a strange kid who would go along. And I was part of their group and went to Denver. And there, the Lord just, it was like five days of heaven. I can't, uh, World Youth Day for me was a, a pivotal moment in my life. It was where this young Ohioan finally got to see the big wide world that mm-hmm. was out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And saw the joy and the vibrancy of a faith that was calling us deeper, higher. And John Paul II didn't mince words. He said, woe to you if you do not succeed in defending life. And with that kind of summons from the Holy Father, I found my mission. Was it at any one moment during that World Youth Day experience, or was it just the whole culmination of those five days? August 14th, 1993, at about 8.50 at night. (laughs) (laughs) That could be any clearer for you. I remember exactly where I was. The Holy Father was speaking to us, and there was just, you know, I'd never seen a crowd like this. There were, there were, the Park Service estimates 350,000 young, young people, and I had crushed in as close as I could to the stage so I could be with as close as I could to the Pope. I was just in love with him and what he was saying, and he issued a summons saying, who among you would be willing to be a good shepherd? Who among you would lay down his life for the sheep of Christ? And I remember that just hit me, and I encountered Christ again. And it was, I knew he was asking me, and I said yes. So you were prepared to say yes, and as we know, you would um, end up in the community of St. John. So how did you discern then? I know you said earlier that, that you felt like you were called to be a monk. So what was it about the community of St. John in particular that drew you there? What I found in the brothers was uh, an opportunity to give everything that I had. Uh, There was a kind of absolute that the brothers embody and call for. Uh, We are the community of St. John. So St. John is the apostle who was in love with Christ. And according to tradition, he was the only apostle who remained unmarried because he gave everything, body and soul, to Christ. And that type of total gift is what, if you go back to those two encounters with the Lord that I explained, both of them had this type of, like, absolute in them, like, the Lord wants everything in me. And so when I met the brothers, I met a community that would enable that gift. It just felt like I was free when I was with them, free to love the Lord as much as I wanted and do for Him all that He would ask me to do. And it doesn't mean other communities aren't great. I visited a total of six different communities looking. But when I met the brothers, I I just knew it. And strangely enough, I remember at the end of the retreat, I knew two things. I knew that I was called to be a brother of St. John, and I knew that I didn't want to be a brother of St. John. (laughs) (laughs) And that was because that absolute of religious life, I mean, giving up Ohio, giving up my family, giving up my language, I had to spend five years in France. Right. People still think I'm from Ireland. They say, what country are you from? <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm not from Ireland. I'm from Toledo. But, I, you know, you, you lose a lot of your natural ability to speak in your normal way, because for five years I was thinking and speaking in a whole different language. That's right. You have to, giving all of that up was, was a real challenge for me, because I couldn't understand 
how God who gave me all those good things could then ask me to forsake them. And a priest settled that for me in a beautiful way. Because, you know, a lot of priests are just like, you know what, you just have to kill the, the one and go with the other, and it's hating the world. But I knew I couldn't do that. I, 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 the world is beautiful. The world is good. Uh, you don't have to hate the world. But I, but I couldn't figure out how to solve this. So I asked, um, I asked a priest for guidance, and he gave me a light that I'm glad to share. He said, it's not a matter of, of you not loving those good things, your family, the metro parks, you know, the weather in Ohio, all those good things, the Buckeyes. <laughs> <laughs> he said, it's not a matter of you not loving them. It's a matter of you putting in a proper order. What do you love more? A lesser love can only be purified by a greater love. Hmm. And there it was like the light because I love Jesus, number one. Okay, well, if you're going to love him, number one, then there has to be a number two. And then all those good things weren't seen as evil. I didn't have to renounce them. I just had to live for that really deep and intense love that was in my heart, which is the love of Jesus. And that intense love has led you on a very interesting path. After you came back from your studies, ordained a priest, um, there are so many ministries, and and we're going to have to sum them up quick because our, our time is going. But um, I, I don't know if you want to talk about Eagle Eye Ministries, but just some, for someone who doesn't know what God has been doing since you have been ordained a priest, give give us a summary of these many ministries that you're doing that are so effective. You know, Elizabeth, I think to go to the heart of the matter, uh, there's a, a spirit in me that kind of is that of a of a pioneer. Um, I'm the type of person that is is pushing pushing forward, and so as I look at the way that ministry is done in the church, the summons to the new evangelization, what exists, I'm kind of instead of like getting bogged down in the details of all the different things that I've done, I think at the heart of it, there's this desire to to renew from the inside kind of to, to take what we're doing and to bring to it what I've discovered in the contemplative life, in the, the monastic the style life that I live, the religious life, but to bring that, that make a bridge between the wisdom of the intensity of the religious life experience and then the needs of the formation for the laity. And so for me, there's like a, a world of invention that needs creativity and optimism and that's where I kind of think God's giving me a grace for. Um, instead of just going out the status quo, in other words, and saying, yep, every youth group will only have 30, 30 kids, and once you get 30, you're pretty much maxed out. I say, no, let, let's look for a new way. Let's stretch this. Because for every 30 kids that are coming, there's 3,000 that aren't. And right. that's kind of where I, I place myself, uh, on, on, the, on the tip of the spear, so to speak, pushing forward and looking for new answers where other people have given up. Well, I love you know some of your mentality. It was things I've seen of you on YouTube and so forth, where you're talking about you know first of all your 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 zeal and your passion for young people and your effectiveness with them. They are relating to you, and you're presenting them with truth, which they're so hungry for. You take them to really beautiful outdoor places, very reminiscent of JP2 and how he used to take the young people into the wilderness to encounter Christ there and take them away from their distractions and the clutter of, of everyday life. And And right. I just think you are raising up uh, an 
army of these young people who, whether they get called to religious life or not, um, they're going to be much more solid in their faith, and they're going to impact the world. Well, you know, Eagle Eye Ministries has had over 50, five zero uh, vocations to priesthood and religious life wow. come, come through us. And we're very grateful for that. We stopped counting. We just said we're going to say over 50 <laughs> from now on because we, we don't really want to count such things. Um, and we've had at least 10 couples meet at Eagle Eye and form Catholic families. Wow. Uh, and that's on top of wow. all of the lay people who have now become youth ministers, become teachers, have chosen to engage in the church's form of evangelization. And, you know, it's not that hard. And this is the good news that I have to say. What we need as a church to do is tell the young people that we need them. I remember when John Paul II said that to us. It, I can still hear his voice. He said, young people, that Christ needs you, the church needs you. And then he said, I need you. And he looked up and he made a fist. I need you. Mm. And then he looked back at his paper again. And I mean, when he said that, I'm there. I mean, the Holy Father just said he needed, I'm there. Well, when was the last time our priests or our sisters or even our parents that you went to the young people and said, I need you? Don't go to work for some other organization. Why don't you put your talents at the service of evangelization, at the service of bringing light in the darkness? And so that's that's the message of of Eagle Eye Ministries. Of course, we're we're so happy people go and work wherever they want. We're we're not there to to, to have a result. We're there to inspire. Awesome. Eagle Eye Ministries inspires their hearts to think big about their lives and whatever they do and wherever they go to have that spirit of the cry of thirst of Jesus from the cross inside of them. That's my mission. That is a beautiful mission. Father, in our last minute together, um, just real quick, where can people find you? And then if you'd give, give us your blessing. Absolutely. I would love to have you visit my website for the St. John Institute. That's S-A-I-N-T, all written out, johninstitute.org. Uh, that site is a, is a terrific reference point for what we're trying to do. And, of course, Eagle Eye Ministries. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E, ministries, plural, dot org. I'd love to hear from you, so please come and visit. I'll give you my blessing. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Through the intercession of St. John Paul the Great and Mary the Queen of the New Evangelization, may Almighty God inspire you and may His peace impel you forth as apostles of light and of His truth as I bless you in nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Cromley, for your beautiful story. And thank you for listening today. And join us again on Tuesdays and Sundays for another edition of Answering the Call. It's at 1230. And we'll be uh, featuring another priest, sister, or deacon and hearing how God called them into their current vocation, how they're serving the church today. Have a wonderful week. God bless. Answering the Call is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Answering the Call with Elizabeth Ficcicelli are available at stgabrielradio.com. Veni, Sancti.